We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Caregiver Dave Celebrity Segment. I'm excited to welcome to the program Caregiver Dave Nassani. Dave, how are you, man? What's up? I'm doing great here in Southern California. Kind of windy. Is it windy down there where you are? Or, oh, it's or, is, Corinne, is it windy right Corinne, now? Sorry. Yeah, is it, how's the weather right now for you? Very windy. Very windy. windy. Okay. Cold so wind right off the so, snow. So we all know her from The Bachelor and also Bachelor in Paradise. And I'm excited to welcome Corinne Olympios. Corinne, thanks for stopping by. How are you? Hi, I'm so good. How are you guys? Fantastic. Great. So Great. let's talk about specifically, did you always want to be a performer? Was that something growing up entertainer? Was that something growing up you wanted to do? Yeah, well, I just always really loved being the center of attention. So it just fit. <laughs> a center of attention. So what age did you start becoming the center of attention? Very, very young, straight out the womb. I was always very needy. Oh, very needy. So what types of, so when you were younger, that type of attention would be just kind of, did you throw the tantrum, tamper tantrums to get attention early? Like, I'd be like, hey, watch this. And I'd like sing a song or like do a dance. And I'd oh, like, like try to make everybody laugh always and do like silly things. I was super into like impersonating cartoons. Like I would be like doing like Jim Carrey style impersonations of like the cartoons that I would watch. Like I, and I, I didn't even know what I was really doing. And my parents were like, whoa, whoa, (laughs) we got a star here. There's a star in the family. (laughs) And were you the class clown too? Getting in trouble in class? I was, I loved being like the one that everyone would be like, Oh my God, like, look, like Corinne's doing something funny. Like, (laughs) like everyone laughing. And did that get you in detention a lot? No, my teachers loved it too. Honestly, I went to a super small private school where I was like, we, we all were just like. No rules cool. really. And just be. And you're still doing comedy. Yep. Yeah. And that's, I am doing comedy. And that's interesting. I want to know more about that whole comedy experience. Did you do some acting? Did you take acting classes growing up and stuff? And did you do some theater and things like that before the opportunity with the bachelor? <laughs> Maybe she taught um, acting. <laughs> um, I did some acting lessons um, privately. And um, I, I liked it a lot. I just like reality was where I was supposed to be because being myself and being me is like where I thrive. So <laughs> I think reality was a good intro to the entertainment world. But I am getting back into acting and I'm getting into stand up. Um, I headlined the Irvine Improv right before the pandemic and it was supposed to kick off my tour and it all went to crap. So now we're starting again and I'm super excited. It's my first show back February 20th um, in Huntington Beach. Awesome. How old were you when you did your first official comedy routine and do you write your own material? I mean, it just comes out of your head or you copy somebody? partner who helps me build out my ideas um who knows me very well so we work really well together and we build out these bits and um they work I was doing a bunch of tight fives at the comedy store um in LA when I lived here when I was 28 I first started and now um it led me to headline at the improv um, my own show which was super incredible and now I'm gonna go on tour doing my own shows Wow, good for you. Is your so partner think, a comic as well? Uh, no. no. 
So let's kind of jump into this specifically enough. One, you said reality television was the first step for you in this process of this journey. Yeah. Was always comedy in the back of your mind? I'm going to be doing this. This is no ifs, ands, or buts, but this is just going to be where I'm going to get, you know, get my, get my, build my brand and then go to that. What were you thinking when you had took the opportunity? I, my, my whole team, um, especially my manager, who's very close to me, really, really wanted me to always do stand up. They were always encouraging me to do it. And I literally said to them, I will never in my life do that. I, it's not what I want to do. I'm not doing it. And I don't even know how or why I was convinced to do a tight five. And I did, and I fell in love and I just really loved how scared I was. And then the feeling after. So I kind of, I, I never really planned to do it. And here I am. Wow. Yeah. There's nothing like that feeling trying to make people laugh and that fear of what if they don't laugh. It's so scary. <laughs> I know it's I did so four, scary. I did a four minute set. And so I'm, I understand, but I did make I, them laugh. That's good. Yes. Good. Good. That was on my bucket list. So how do you warm people up? You know, sometimes when you're, you have to get that first joke out the first thing, how do you do it Corinne to not be cringing? If what if they don't say anything and Oh my gosh, I have to go to the next joke. I, I, <laughs> Uh, well, when I first started, I was like, oh, this is like my first show. This is only my second show. So here I am. Like, I would just like tell them kind of like. Disarm them. Yeah. But then it made them like so much more encouraging, which was cool. But now I can't really do that because I'm a little bit more seasoned. So I feel like I'm going to start with like a feng shui joke, like moving the mic stand a little bit. That always gets it going. That's funny. Do you hope that through this experience and your success in comedy that could land a, you know, a great role on a TV show or movie? A hundred percent. That's the goal for me. The goal for me is in the next five to 10 years, like I, my goal is to have my own late night show. I'm going to be doing that one way or another. I'm going to make it happen. I'm going to be the next Ellen DeGeneres. Yeah, Johnny Carson was great with the Tonight Show because he started so many comics careers. I don't know if we have something like that today. You know, the Tonight Show is still there, but it's not Johnny. Yeah, we need just like a good old fashioned late night talk show. Just plain late night talk show. Nothing fancy smanchy. Just nice, good old late night talk show with interviewing fun people. Maybe so, that'll be you. you. Hey, You think that's, that's I'm missing? I'm going to do it. You, she says she, she already it. said it. She already <laughs> said she's going to do it, Dave. So she's going right. to do it. That's the bottom line. So the point I'm making, Corinne, is do, do you feel that it's missing <sighs> in late night talk, especially different talk shows that are really not having those conversations? It's really kind of just not that interesting or not entertaining to the way you want political uh, night night talk talk. Yeah. I mean, I. I mean. The way I would do my late night talk show would just be different. So, yeah, I mean, I love the whole concept of it. Sorry, I'm not really sure what you're asking. No, I'm, like, the, <laughs> so I'm, I'm taking you down that, like you said, you want it to be traditional talk show. How yeah. would you run that with uh, not giving everything away if you had your own late night talk show? I would do my own stand-up comedy, have really cool guests on that are relevant at the time talk about real life stuff um and just kind of have fun with it yeah that, that sounds cool that. yeah yeah and there's always different ones in so many ways and, and yeah you know, yeah i just feel like all the like 
people are trying to get like so crazy with the, with the games and the this and all that's fun. But like, I just want to do a good old comedy late night show with Corinne. Yeah. And see, you know, Stephen Colbert does that in a lot of ways. And the fact that he interviews the people, he has a little comedy set, but he's really not doing as many of the gimmicks. He's sitting down and talking to people and having a interview as a journalist myself. I want to see more of a conversation, you know, especially let's learn about your project. Let's know what's really deep about it. Not have a conversation on what happened last week. You know, some really delving deep into the project. So people say, hey, I'm going to go watch that TV show. I'm going to go that. No, down in this conversation. Hey, like they're having a cup of coffee. I just don't see that as entertaining as I really want to know about, especially if somebody like, you know, Ozark just came out. I want to hear from the actor really the not more of the, the thought process with the fans and everything with Ozark. Not, oh, what'd you do last week? That just, that's just, that's, I don't, that's what I don't care for. I want more of a traditional talk show, have a conversation with somebody, really learn about what makes them tick and what makes them do that. So I'm going to segue to a question right now for you, Corinne, when you're thinking as a comedian, what is your ultimate goal after you're done performing? What do you want your audience to get the most out of? Like, what do I want to walk away feeling I accomplished during that time? Accomplished. Accomplish, yes, for your fans and you. Mm-hmm. I what to me is the most amazing compliment is like when someone says to me, "Wow, like this made me like you so much more." I it, I feel really like relatable to you. I love how relatable you are, and I feel like you're just very real. I love when people tell me that. Um, I don't want it to ever feel too like scripted or acty because I'm a very part of the reason why I was so successful with coming off the bachelor was because I was always very much myself and I was so just genuine in how I was feeling at the time. And I didn't really put on an act and it was just me. And and people were like, at first they hated me, but then people were like, actually, she's just a normal girl and everything she's saying is how we're all feeling. And so when people would come up to me and meet me and they were just like, I like, they would just come hug me and they're like, sorry, I didn't mean to just like hug you like that. I just feel like I know you. And a lot, like, that's basically what a lot of people would say to me. And that to me is really, really important. So let's talk about reality TV because, you know, it goes from one gambit to the next. Uh, Some are criticized for being too scripted. Some are just ridiculous. What was it like on that show? And how did your um, desire to be real conflict with those who wanted to be scripted? I mean, it's not about being scripted or not scripted. It's just like we were all normal, just regular girls at the time. And when camera was would go up, they would just be like, <laughs> we have to be we have to be very polite and very together. And for me, I was like, like, just be yourself. Like, it's fine. And then I would just like have a couple drinks and just like act how I would act if I was just like dating a guy. Like, you know, I didn't do things I didn't want to do. And I was just me. And people thought it was great and funny because people don't act like that on reality TV because people try to be something they're not. And I did not do that. And that's, is that really hard for most people to do? Just be themselves on or off TV? And I would think that they would just not tell you when they're filming because they would get more of a genuineness, no? Yeah, yeah. I think, I think just people like, 
because they've never been in front of the camera before. Like we were all very, we were all just like unseasoned <laughs> yeah. new, very new. No one's been in front of the camera before. So it, like a lot of people can't handle it. And then that experience once finally the show airs, right? You went and taped it. You did that experience. You went through the challenges of the whole thing. And then you have to relive it. Did you rewatch all of it? Or did you watch? And, and, were you, and were you pleased at your performance when you watch? Some people hate to watch themselves. Yeah, I mean, I watch it now, and like, given it's been a couple of years, so I'm a completely different human now. Um, <laughs> like, where like, just some stuff I said was just batshit insane. But I, <laughs> I, at the time, I was proud of myself. I was like, listen, I literally did not put on any sort of act, and this is how I am. And yeah, there were moments where I was like, ooh. <laughs> but um yeah but that's anybody i mean anybody's gonna have moments where they cringe at themselves anytime and after that experience was it challenging to the now you're a celebrity right in so many ways from that one the, the experience of the bachelor then people recognize you everywhere how have you dealt with it and, and continue to deal with it with being in the limelight and stuff how do you how do you go deal with that it's, I love it. I mean, I, I mean, who wouldn't, I mean, people like are the meanest thing someone's ever said to me was like a guy came up to me and was like, you're Corinne. My wife fucking hates you. And I was like, it's okay. Sometimes I hate myself too. <laughs> so how recognizable but are I, you if you go out in public? Oh yeah, Dave, she is. Trust me. <laughs> if the bachelor is one of the, how big of a brand and how much is it watched all over the world? Corinne, a ton, right? How many views is it? Like 10, 10 million views? Bachelor? Yeah. Yeah, it's huge ratings. It's hard. Yeah, the ratings are like huge. My ratings were, of course, the highest because I was just so entertaining. But, you know. And forgive my, for, forgive my ignorance, but who's the uh, demographics? Younger Dave, people. It's gigantic. Younger. Just all I have to say. Everybody now. Everybody. Everybody. There's tons of Everybody. people watch The Bachelor. It is prime time, one of the top rated shows every every uh, season, right? Isn't that correct? Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So everyone, so it just depends, Dave. You just have not chosen that because you're still binge watching different things. But when you're talking reality television, Bachelor is probably top five, would you say, of reality yeah. TV shows? Pretty much. And it doesn't matter yeah. how long you are on the show you will be recognizable and were Corinne's experience and having being part of the bachelor brand. And then how do you want, you, you don't always want to be typecast that. So that's another challenge what you deal with. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is what, like they, they tried to carry on, like, because I, I changed the game for the show a lot. Uh, there's never been like someone like me that was just the way it was. And they tried to carry it on after and, cast people to replace me and we've heard that from producers on the show they're like no that she was cast to be the next Grand olympias and it just never worked because you can't there's only me. one yeah and <laughs> so, um that was kind of weird for a while but people saw it and it was like kind of like a buzz like oh they're trying to create more Korean Olympiases and it's it's not working so that wasn't working for a while i haven't watched the show this season at all but I think they chilled out with that a little bit. And for me, um, I, I love my bachelor family. It's where Corinne was born into the public world. But um, I don't know, like, 
for me, I feel like I'd be ready to go back on if I were to be cast as like the next Bachelorette because I'm single again. And like, I just feel like they could use a little bit of Corinne Olympias, like the real true one back if they'll ever get over their little pissy fit. But we'll see. Hey, you heard it here first on the Neil Haley show. I guess I don't know what the hissy fit is. So so Dave, you're going to have to do some read up. I was reading up a little bit, but I promised I'm not. Yeah, we'll we'll let you Google that later. Yeah, yeah, you Google that later. (laughs) And I won't do that because I don't want to talk because everyone else asks you that same gossip question. I just really want to know who the real person is. That's like you want in a talk show. You're not going to go and go on it when you're you have your late night show because you believe in it. You will have it. You're not going to go and say something that's going to make them cringe right? That's not fair. It's more of a conversation and really get to know the real person. You know, when we have these experiences, these things that, you know, some people see on camera and some people see that happen off camera, you don't want to talk about those things. You want to talk about what makes people happy and real because it's all about being yeah. happy and real at the end. Yeah. Of the day. It's not like when I went on Ellen, it was a little bit like there were, there were tough questions and I, it, like questions got a little tough for a while. And it's like, why is there no like talk show where I can, I can like come on and be like excited to tell you what's going on with me and what projects I'm doing and, and tell you about like things that I'm excited to tell you about. It's always like a, no, we want to know like this certain question and you're going to keep drilling me about it. It's just so uncomfortable. Like when you come on the Corinne Olympias late night show, you're going to talk about everything that makes you excited to be working in the entertainment business and what you're doing. And we're going to have so much fun. That's what I want. See, and that's the thing. And, and I'm sure because of those kind of questions, anytime you get on a talk show, are they going to ask a question that's cringeworthy? And so trust me, because I've done this for 12 years and interviewed 7,000 plus people and interviewed celebrities all the time, I would never want to be put in that position because ultimately I, you know, I wasn't on a big stage like you, but I was a former professional wrestler. So I knew what would happen backstage. And I also knew what would happen once we left and, you know, we go with the fans or go different things. So I would never want to put somebody in that position. And that's what media is about. And that's why a lot of people just turn it off. Corinne, that's the honest to God truth. Your fans don't want to hear the same thing over and over again. They want something new. Tell you like, about this one thing that we already like uh, know about in our past. Like, let's talk about things that I'm doing now and like how behind the scenes is and how like I've am growing my show and this and that and what I'm going to do next. Like that stuff's fun and interesting. You don't want to exactly. keep hearing about the thing that happened four fucking years ago. <laughs> exactly. Just so you know, because I don't, I don't know who you are. I'm one of the few people in the I world who and has I never love- seen you. And I like you. You're wonderful got a great personality <clears throat> you're very authentic and i would tune in to watch you now and then start comedy and then- okay go grin no no that means a lot i was just saying thank uh, you oh that's awesome all right so dave has a final question it's evolved in caregiving so go ahead dave with your question yeah you know i'm an entrepreneur uh, i have a gas station for 47 years but 25 years ago my wife had a stroke we've been married for that long about 47 years as well and she lost her speech, became paralyzed on one side. And, you know, we were concerned and, and uh, in this grief period for a couple of years. Then we reinvented ourselves and figured it out. And, and now I'm caregiver Dave. I help other caregivers uh, because 30% of them actually die before their loved ones do. Maybe you know some caregivers, uh, grandparents or whatever. 
And so I started caregiverdave.com. It's a community support group. I've been on TV all over the country and speak on stages everywhere. And I just talk to normal people and say, hey, you know, have you thought about caregiving? Because eventually you're either going to become a caregiver one day or you're going to need a caregiver one day. And now's the time to think about it because, you know, I was just living a normal life on August 31st, 1996. And then the very next day, bam, my whole life is turned upside down. Have you thought about that? Do you know anybody who's a caregiver? Well, um, I don't. My, my grandparents don't have caregivers. They don't need them yet. Cool. Um, <laughs> around that. But. Lucky you. Lucky you. But one day. <laughs> just okay. file that in the back of your brain. Yes. One day I will need a caregiver and I will get it from caregiverdave.com. <laughs> see, that's a great, see, that's a great poem. We'll have to place that. But Corinne, everyone needs to check out your comedy show. How can they do it? Tell us, especially yeah. when it's coming up and all that stuff. Go ahead. I'm, I'm going to be posting on my Instagram at C Olympias, um, where you can go. It's going to be at rec room in Huntington beach, California on February 20th. Um, there are limited tickets because of, like COVID reasons. Um, so they're only filling up half the space. So as soon as I post, it's, it's, it's going to be, get your tickets quick because it's my first show back. It's going to be a very big deal. It's going to be so fun. I'm having celebrity guests. Um, it's, it's, there's a lot of surprises. It's going to be great. It's going to, it's, it's going to be late night talk show. There you go. You're auditioning. And so, so you can't tell us the celebrities yet. You have to stay here by following your Instagram and what's your Instagram. It's at C-O-L-Y-M-P-I-O-S, C-Olympios, my last name. Oh, my gosh. And so do you, do you have your comedy on YouTube as well? I mean, can we see some stuff you've done in the past? I am going to start putting my comedy on YouTube. It is not up there yet. But, right. yes, that will be a thing once I get started this next month. Great. Your fans are excited, right? They're definitely excited, and it'll be a quick sellout for sure. And then more of the tour, right? You, is the tour after that fact? Or are you- my, my, I just want to add in my fans that follow me on Instagram, like, yeah, they love when I post like pretty pictures and you know, whatever I'm an Instagram model. Yeah. But like, I will get probably a hundred messages a week that are like, Hey, we, we know you're really pretty. Like, can you post more of your funny stuff? Like my fans love my comedy. Yeah, do it. There you go. There you go. Okay. We appreciate it, Corinne. Thanks for stopping by and uh, really enjoyed seeing the raw Corinne and learning about what makes her passionate. And uh, someday you're going to have your own late night talk show. So we're waiting on that or... Is but she- until then, tune into my podcast, Corinne Saves Us All. <laughs> okay, there's another one. So and nice meeting you one- for the first time. Thank and you. then there's one more promo. You're going to be the next Bachelorette, right? So we're ready. Yep. So, yep. so there you Even go. Even if I have to like hire a crew and like film it myself, maybe I should just do that and just maybe. do a Corinne Olympia dating show on YouTube. Hey. Or Corinne could pull platform. that off. So your agent needs to start working and get this. Let's do it. Okay. I appreciate okay. it. Thanks for stopping by. All right, guys. That Bye. was the Haley Show, Caregiver Dave, Celebrity Second. Take care. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Photographic Memory Podcast. And again, this is episode three. I'm excited to welcome to the program, Dr. Shannon Panzo. Dr. Shannon, how are you? Oh, I'm doing great over here in Australia. How about yourself? Oh, I, you know, I'm doing great in the United States, except snow, snow, and more snow. But hey, you know, we're going to digress from that fact and introduce who you are. You're a 
again, a photographic memory expert, a brain management expert, an expert on the Zucks Pro method, and also a mentor. And you didn't explain a little bit about your mentoring. Go about that before we get to top uh, episode three's topic. Well, one of the things that I do for, uh, for people, I don't do it for a lot of people, but I do it for a few people. And that is I, I actually take them under wing and provide them six months of instruction, uh, how to get the most out of their life by using the, the tools that I have. The tools that I have are proprietary and some of these tools you can find nowhere else. And so I have the, I have the luxury and the, the opportunity to teach others how to think better and make their life better. And that's important because you need to have people to talk to that understand and understand many varieties of people. You understand people because of photographic memory, right? Because you've read so many different things that a lot of people are not exposed to. Well, I, um, I've been referred to uh, from time to time as a walking encyclopedia. I seem to know a lot about most things, so I'm, I'm happy with all that. Uh, it allows me, and I'm very blessed in my ability to deal with a lot of different things that people uh, are dealing with, and it allows me to help those people uh, you know, do good things in their life. So we talked about some benefits in episode two of learning photographic the photographic memory and that is from again using a mental photography how you teach mental photography explain those we could go back through those from last week's episode really quickly and then we'll talk about new benefits well to to really paraphrase what we were talking about we were talking about a graph that graph is actually uh available on zoxpro.com the graph gives you a uh, a linear projection as to how this actually works. First, uh, now this is specifically involving uh, information. So you, you gain uh, superior information. Now, uh, because reading is so, uh, basically the stats on reading uh, reflect that reading is not very good at all, okay? So whenever you use the photographic memory, what happens is you learn information at a very high rate of speed. This information uh, at that particular point, some of it may be usable, some may not be usable. And eventually you get to the point where, uh, now this is through normal, normal way of doing things. Uh, normally you would get to the point where after associating yourself with information on an ongoing level, you'll get to what is called knowledge. Okay. Knowledge is where you're actually able to use the information. There's usually a, 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 a hardened path to get to that uh, state of knowledge. Then through years of applying the knowledge, you gain wisdom. Now this is your typical path through using reading or speed reading. Now, uh, that eventually will give you different things uh, such as heightened productivity and, uh, you know, better career, uh, going, you know, going through multiple degrees, things like this. But that's going to take you years and years and years unless you're using your photographic memory. If you're getting, if you're using your photographic memory for this, what happens is you skip all that time barrier and the usage barrier because you're 
you're actually funneling all this information in directly to your long-term memory where it's actually going to do you some good. So instead of you segregating out the time that it takes for you to go from information to knowledge to wisdom, you get it all at the same time. That's your photographic memory. Your photographic memory, of course, is your eidetic memory that you're born with. So it's completely natural. And whenever you understand how to use it, this is, these are the gains that you make. And these are some of the benefits. See, that's, okay. awesome. that's, that's great. But here's the thing about you're talking about benefits. One benefit you've talked about before is information overload. Uh, it's somehow some, I think when you talked about, we talked off air about, I feel information overload right now on me because of extra new responsibilities, having to try to remember them all without having to write them down, which I do sometimes. Well, we all do that sometimes. We all need to have a scale to, to go by. Whenever you use the photographic memory, the, uh, your ability to develop the photographic memory, develop your brain, uh, develop, by the way, whenever you're working with the photographic memory, you naturally form more memory, more physical memory. Wow. So it's very important that you're using the uh, photographic memory. Uh, along with that, you uh, basically, because you're able to manage the information much better, you're able to segregate the quality of information. The quality of information with the photographic memory is very high quality information. You can segregate that in such a way so that you can uh, get more out of it. Because of that, because of your ability to, to use your memory properly, and again, there's various techniques involved in this, uh, because you're able to do that, then what ends up happening is you're no longer uh, bogged down by information flow. Exactly. Now, the, uh, the, the very atypical thing that you'll have is, let's say, uh, let's say some, uh, some people in the office, they gather around the water cooler, and they're shooting the breeze. And one of them says, oh, gee, I got so much email. I got so much paper on my desk. I don't know what to do with it all. I wish I had a photographic memory. <laughs> yeah. Well, isn't that the life? Well, guess what? Bing, you have a photographic memory. You were born with it. You never lose it. You just don't know how to regulate it. You just don't know how to uh, get back in touch with, with using it on a regular basis. And uh, oh, basically, the photographic memory is live and well within you. And this can help you directly with time management. Time management uh, you stop the information overload, you, you decrease the stress in, immensely. I mean, you're always going to have a certain amount of stress, but if you can take out uh, 50, 80, 50-80% uh, of your stress that you experience every day, right. well, you're going to have a better day. <laughs> and you feel healthier too. Absolutely. Uh, stress directly relates to your health. There's, uh, whenever you feel stress, it triggers the production of certain uh, certain things within your body that actually cause your immunity system, uh, your immunity to things, uh, your immune system actually uh, does not function very well whenever you're under stress. And so you're more likely to get ill and uh, you're more susceptible to <clears throat> pretty much anything that comes along. 
Uh, in today's world, that's pretty important. Yeah, I think it's it's so important, definitely. So because you are don't have information overload and you have all this knowledge, your career is track is going to look a lot better, right? You're going to really develop the ability to move up the ladder in your job and be the best in your field then, correct? Right. So with a photographic memory, you're getting quality information. That quality information, uh, let's, say, let's say you're on the... Uh, you're climbing the ladder to success in whatever occupation you're in. Uh, there are certain levels of information you need to attain before you can get that next level. At least, at least you had hoped that that would be the way. And so what you want to do is you want to focus on using the photographic memory to accumulate that information and taking that information in and thus climbing the ladder a lot quicker because you're able to actually use that information much faster. It's quality information. And you need to, you need to trust in yourself that you can do these things. Uh, I, can, I can sit here and say, okay, well, hey, look, uh, you, know, you have the photographic memory, you were born with it, but you have to believe in it yourself in order to get yourself down the road and, and do the things you need to do for yourself. So career mobility, oh yes, you can definitely put yourself into high gear this way simply by using the photographic memory. Now, what we haven't actually, uh, what we haven't actually talked about is the how-to. Now, the how-to use the photographic memory is a technique called mental photography. Uh, the mental photography allows you to assimilate starting at 25 to 50,000 words per minute. That's thousands. Now, Crazy. the average reading speed is 250 yeah. words per minute. So whenever you look at what you're doing here, you're looking at 100 to 200 times your average reading speed. And that's where it starts. There is, there is really no, uh, no limitation going up. We have people that are doing millions of words per minute and still accumulating easily, uh, you know, 90 to 100% of the information immediately. Wow. So based on that, so you are more successful. You complete your work in a more quickly and more quicker basis than the average Joe. That's going to lead to more time with family, right? And, and things to have fun to do because you are able to do things so well at a faster pace. Well, there's, there's actually two aspects of that. And the first thing is, if you have a bad day at home, you take it to the office. If you have a bad day at the office, you take it home. If you can have a better day at the office or with the family, guess what? Everything works. So yes, you're gonna free up more time for yourself because you're gonna get the job done a lot quicker, a lot easier. And so you free up more time for yourself. You can actually dedicate more time to your family, more time to your friends, uh, more time to your free, you know, your free time pursuits, whatever it is that it trips your trigger. You can spend more time doing that because this opens up. This is a great time saver. It opens up more time. Uh, sure, you're gonna have to learn how to do it, and there's, you know, there's a curve there that you know you have to learn by, but. After you get good at it, yes, it's, of course, it frees up a lot of time. 
uh, I'm, I'm the type of guy I have, I have more interests than any 10 people. And that's, that's just how I run my life. That's it's, a, it's great. It's crazy. And I, I mean, I, again, a cocktail party, that's the other thing, right? Socially, you can have conversations with anyone. And I think I have a little bit of a great memory in certain aspects, if it wasn't for all what happened in pro wrestling, but I have a lot of knowledge base in specific areas and I can have conversations with a variety of people, but it's based on my ability not to forget things after I have a conversation or read something. I don't forget it. So, but not to the level of you. So explain how you could just go and have a conversation with anyone regarding any subject matter. If you've read about it. Well, let's, let's take the word read or reading. Let's take the word and take that out of the, out of the phrase. Whenever you're using mental photography, you're much more accomplished with the information. And it goes directly to your long-term and for it goes to, to your long-term memory in your long-term memory. You retain 100% of the information for life. Uh, now, eventually it might get buried by other things and by just your exactly. cumulative junk in life, but it is there. If you, uh, if you trigger it to come to the forefront. Now this is uh, okay. Let's say you're at a cocktail party. And you know this person intimately and you go to say their name and you go, oh, well, what happened? It's called stress. Yeah. And you can't remember the person's name. It's sitting on, the, it's right there sitting on your tongue and you cannot say their name. And, the, and what happens is, is you need to learn how to mentally rock, relax around these things. Whenever you mentally relax around these things, it easily comes to the forefront. Whenever you have superior knowledge, it's much easier to relax. If you don't have the superior knowledge, you become very stressed, very tense. Now, you'll remember that person's name usually in the middle of the night, after you've gone to sleep, you'll wake up and go, ah, I remember that person's name. Too late. <laughs> but so the, the flavor is over. Uh, so, yes, whenever it comes to the uh, having more time in life, uh, getting more out of your memory, having that fluidity that you need to have, this all becomes part of who you are instead of you being, a, you know, tense, stressed person. And so this is the way you do it. All right. So people now, cause we, we've covered another topic and look forward to the next topic to kind of delve into more benefits next time. And then a little bit into your method, the Zucks pro method, people right now that can't wait any longer, they can go to zuckspro.com right now and try it right, right now. Absolutely. It's the, uh, it's the most distilled down version of, of what we provide. Uh, it, is, it is geared to give you results. Uh, it'll, it'll take you as far as your imagination will. All right. We'll appreciate it. Look forward to another great discussion on the Photographic Memory Podcast. So take care, Dr. Shannon. Thank you for having me. I'll take care. Bye.
Hi, everyone, and welcome to Rob Roselli Show. I'm excited to welcome to Rob Roselli. Rob, what's going on? How are you? Hey, Neil, how you doing? I'm doing okay. Yeah, doing great. What's 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 the news this week that's surprising? Well, <clears throat> the Biden administration's handing out crack pipes to in poor neighborhoods. Apparently, that's the solution to the drug problem is to encourage more of it. Um, you know, just to be blunt, it's beyond me why black people continue to vote Democrat. This is how they get treated. Uh, we've talked about, you know, Margaret Sanger's Negro Project plenty of times on this show, which we know today as Planned Parenthood. Remember, Margaret Sanger was the one who decided that black people aren't worthy to even be alive, so they should be aborted before they're alive. And that's how she found it's something called the American Birth Control League, which we know today as Planned Parenthood. And now they're handing out crack pipes uh, in these poor neighborhoods. So I guess encouraging, you know, the black people that get past abortion, I guess they're encouraging them, you know, maybe smoke crack and die. I, I don't I don't know. I don't know the purpose of the of that move by the Biden administration, but there it is. And it's happening during Black History Month. So, I mean, so, if this, so what are they? What are they? You said are giving out crack pipes. Um, um, where did we have that news? I'm interested in looking that up. Where'd you find that out? Well, if you go on the place I found it, I mean the the latest. If you go on Natural News, NaturalNews.com, there's a there's an article there, but I've heard about it before this. Jeez. The article's there. So it's, I think it's a $30 million budget, $30 million worth of crack pipes. I don't know how many of that buys, but that's what they're, that's what they're selling. So that's where, I've, that's for the latest article that I can find it is, but it's, it's, it's all over the conspiracy news. I'm surprised it hasn't been on Fox News yet, or maybe it has, and I just missed it, but it's utterly amazing what you know must be some kind of suicide cult to keep voting Democrat, and this is how they're treating you between welfare, which just creates dependency, abortion, uh, no no bail laws now, letting these thugs out, and now crack pipes. I mean, it's no wonder that you know our cities are crumbling. In, a, in, a, in an advanced state of decay, thanks to these people, but it's just, and they keep getting voted in. So I don't know. I don't know what the, um, what the story is, but another, another scam that keeps popping its head up that's more or less ingrained into our culture now is climate change. We keep hearing the term climate change. And you can go on my website, boxofsunglasses.com and right under right under ancient Egypt still lives which is the second page of the website there's a link there for the inconvenient scientific method okay and I go into I go through Al Gore's book an inconvenient truth and just just go through and and, and just basically 
Uh, I try to give it a fair assessment from, from the point, viewpoint of the scientific method. And Mr. Gore is just, he's just off. I mean, he makes the assumption that carbon dioxide is, is causing global warming and builds his thesis around that. It's basically the exact opposite of what the scientific method is supposed to do. Uh, I'm not saying that investigating climate change is, is a bad thing. I mean, if you do look, there are local, there are definitely local impacts from auto emissions and industrial emissions, you know, Los Angeles with its smog and this sort of thing. So it's definitely something that needs to be looked into, in my opinion. But when you look into it, as I point out in the link, there's absolutely no no truth to the carbon dioxide. It's a scam, basically. And if you go through Al Gore's book, An Inconvenient, Inconvenient Truth, you'll find that his graphs, his graphs are all off. They don't, they don't really have any numerical value. They don't really tell you anything except what he wants you to know is the truth. Which is car, which is that the conclusion that carbon dioxide is causing global warming, which, as I stated, is you're putting the cart before the horse, so so to speak. So he does that. So if you go through that link, I found a similar graph for a relation between carbon dioxide and, and global temperatures, and I with actual numbers on it. Okay, this is from Nature magazine, and then what I've what that graph tells me is that carbon dioxide is, there is a weak relationship between carbon dioxide and temperature, but carbon dioxide lags the temperature increase, okay, which is the exact opposite of what Al Gore is saying and what the climate change nut jobs are telling us, okay. So, Basically, what that means is that as the Earth's temperature rise due to the sun, mostly, uh, which these models do not account for, which is a big, a big no-no. But anyway, um, what what you find is that the carbon dioxide comes out of solution of the oceans as the temperature of the Earth rises. Carbon dioxide, more carbon dioxide comes out of solution, so there is a it was a weak correlation, and that is that carbon dioxide lags the sun and the temperature. So basically what I'm saying is that climate change is a scam. It's a scientific scam. And there's another graph, you know, carbon dioxide solubility in water, you know, decreases with increasing temperature. So that, that's what happens is that as the temperature increases due to the sun, more carbon dioxide comes out of, comes out of the oceans. Hence, you do have a correlation. But again, as I stated before, it's the exact opposite of what the climate change goons are telling us. And, and don't forget, this used to be called global cooling back in the 70s. And then it was global warming. And now it's just climate change. So you have to ask yourself, you know, why is it called just climate change? And the reason is because what they've done is they've taken the assumption that mankind is evil and mankind is dirty and mankind is overpopulating the earth. And therefore, mankind is the cause of global, global cooling, global warming, climate change. Mankind's whatever happens to the climate, mankind's responsible for 
because mankind's unnatural and doesn't doesn't really belong on the earth, or at least in the numbers that exist today. But if you think about it, an interesting thought is that you know if if evolution is true and survival of the fittest, I mean, you know, we should be we should be kings of the earth and able to do whatever we want because we're the fittest and we survive. But obviously, as we pointed out on last week's show, evolution is is totally false. It, it doesn't meet any scientific laws, Newton's laws of motions, the laws of thermodynamics, et cetera, everything we talked about last week. So evolution is the biggest scam, the biggest scientific scam going, and it's, you know, it's evil baby sibling climate change isn't far behind. Okay. And you can look, and there's other graphs in this link that you can find, okay. Um, So-called greenhouse gases, Water vapor makes up 95% of them. And carbon dioxide only makes up 3.6% of greenhouse gases. And of that 3.6%, mankind's contribution is only 3.4%. So what that's saying is that mankind's contribution of, to so-called greenhouse gases, which as I mentioned, a few minutes ago is a scam in and of itself, but let's just say it were, you know, it were factual. Mankind's contribution of greenhouse gases is fractions of a percent when you compare to other other gases like water vapor. So if you go through, you go through the, the link, you'll find out more and more. And, and, and I tried to keep it as objective as possible, but it's really difficult when you're dealing with, with someone like Al Gore and, and his book, An Inconvenient Truth. It's very difficult to maintain any kind of scientific validity because everything, he turns science on its head, as I mentioned. Okay. And don't forget what they were saying too, is that the the, the quantity and and ferocity of hurricanes was supposed to increase Okay, and that hasn't happened. I mean, we've had some of the quietest hurricane seasons on record over, over the last 10 to 20 years. We've, we've really had minimal um, minimal hurricanes. I mean, you know, we had Katrina and, and you know, a few others um, that hit, you know, that did, did do a lot of damage. But overall, if you look at, the, you know, the last, the last decade, You've had really quiet hurricane seasons, so that's not supposed to happen. It was supposed to hurricanes are supposed to increase in intensity and, and duration and, and quantity and, and all this. And that just hasn't happened. That's been another prediction. And then the computer models themselves don't really follow, are built to by not including the sun. Okay, for example, they're built to come to the conclusion that if you input more carbon dioxide, the worldwide temperatures are going to increase. So the computer models themselves are invalid because they don't include some very complex items. And if you think about it, um, modeling the world's atmosphere is a very complex, very complex undertaking, okay? And if you watched even the local news, I mean, they, don't, they can't get the weather right within the next week. 
they can't predict the temperatures. I mean, you know, within a few degrees, high 40s, mid 40s, this type of thing is what you get. Yet somehow we're supposed to believe that Al Gore's models can predict worldwide temperatures to a tenth of a degree 100 years out. So all these great models, I don't know why all the local weather stations on the TV aren't using these great models that Al Gore and the, and the United Nations IPCC, which is the organization responsible for tracking climate change, so-called International Panel of Climate Change, I think it's called, um, you know, their models are basically invalid. They, don't, they have no validity scientific validity because they just they can't it's impossible to predict the earth's temperature with any kind of accuracy 100 years out it's just not it's way too complex for that so for them to come out and say that and come to these kind of things these kinds of conclusions is really is really ridiculous and this is why so again in summation this is why the terminology of change is just climate change. I mean, it started out as global cooling, global warming, and now it's just climate change. So in other words, no matter what happens, they can be wrong. The temperatures can increase, the temperatures can decrease, but the climate's changing, which it always is naturally. But the, the climate change they're saying is due to mankind. So again, they've taken a scientific method and they've turned it on its head. They said mankind is evil and the cause of unnatural climate change, which is just, when you read through this link, and it's about 20 pages, but it's it's full of scientific facts and graphs, and I'm just giving a quick summary here right now. Um, but it's just, the conclusions are just the opposite of, of pure science, but of course, climate change is now deemed a national emergency. It's ingrained into, into the to the body politic of, of this country and it's a shame. So we'll see where this goes. You know, with the Biden administration, of course, they're all behind it, you know, mankind and and this sort of thing. So we'll see what happens with the United Nations moving forward. But just be aware that when they say climate change, it's a scam. And of course it smacks in the face of Book of Genesis, where God says, you know, he'll He'll always provide for mankind no matter what. He tells Noah that he won't flood the world again and that he'll always there'll always be seed time and harvest and in summer and winter as long as the earth exists. Okay, so of course that's fundamentalist Christianity, and that's not allowed any longer in this in a discussion that's that's archaic or whatever the terminology is. So, you know, again. We have evolution and we have climate change. And you know, what is the what is the net result of all this but population control? This is this is why this is all covered in my book, The Un-American Genocidal Complex. That's available through my site, boxofsunglasses.com. And of course, don't forget God's simple salvation plan, which is very important as we come to these crazy end times that we're coming up against here. So that's that's it for this week, Neil. All right, Ryan. But again, boxsunglasses.com. Appreciate you, and uh, we'll talk next week. Okay, sounds good. All right, that was the Robert Sully Show, guys. Take care. Hey. Uh, 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 uh.